Let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful as our Lord's Day has opened up and we're privileged to be here. Thank you for each individual and family represented. Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for the working of your spirit in our lives, bringing us to be more conformed to the image of our Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the nation in which we live and the trials that it has experienced and how we've grown through those. The words of Lincoln and others uh, reverberating in history, uh, showing that sacrifice of lives were a part of our history. And yet as children of the living God, we recognize that the sacrifice of uh, the Savior, uh, our uh, redemption, Jesus Christ, was necessary also in order that we might not only experience, but know freedom as it truly is. Um, and so for those who are still in bondage to the flesh, those who are still bound in uh, the world of, of uh, flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, um, we know that the avenue for salvation comes uh, through the word, by faith and through the preaching of the word. And as we are your servants, we pray that we'll live it as such. As we approach this time to enter into your word, we're thankful for it. Thank you again that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We pray, Father, that it is not only seen as a time where we meet here on Sunday, but that the word will continue to be a banquet table before us throughout each and every day. Bless, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, we continue on our study of Psalm 27. Uh, it's been a few weeks since we were here, so I'd ask you to follow along as I read the entire psalm again. Uh, it's a beautiful psalm, and one of which I pray that as we read it and study it, we'll be able to relate to it more and more. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise up against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up on a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me, therefore Will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy? I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me, and answer me. When thou sayest, seeking my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. 
Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted, unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word on this Lord's Day morning. As a matter of review, you'll remember that David's life is one of ups and downs. You study his history and and you see the experiences that he had gone through uh, all throughout life, and they were ups and downs. And a lot of the Psalms, as you read them, you'll feel those ups and downs. You'll walk with David You'll see him and and go along with those things and how he struggles and how he prays and how he looks for grace and mercy and how he finds his strength in the Lord. I like what is presented in those Psalms because of these various levels of severity, the challenges that he faces. I don't necessarily experience the exact same ones, but I experience his challenges just the same. And as I read what David what he says to me in those things, I'm able to say, yes, that, that's true. I can taste that. I can see that. With all the scripture, Psalm 27 is indeed profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that we as his children are enabled to become perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So, We started a number of weeks ago, actually the beginning of May, with uh, the first three verses of Psalm 27. And we saw within that particular passage, uh, David's very powerful and clear-cut testimony of his confidence in God. Absolute, no doubt about it. He says that God is my light, my salvation. He's the strength of my life. And he boasts of that, not of something that he was experiencing at that time, but of previous history. He says, these are the things I know that I've tasted and seen. And so he's assured that God would never leave him nor forsake him. Then the next section, beginning at verse 4, follows along as David speaks of, with that confidence in mind, what he wants, what he desires. And he says, one thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek, that I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I think it showed a a different section of his heart, a deeper part. Because of what God has been to me, it draws me closer, uh, like a magnet to the Aaron filings or the filings to the magnet. He says, because of all of these things, I want to be close to him. I want to draw close to him. Lord, I want to dwell with you, to live in your presence, uh, to be hidden in your care day and night. You can hear that plea. You can hear the understanding of his heart. Um, and, I, and I see that, and sometimes people write Christian books and they write some things, and sometimes I think they say that simply because they want to look as being pious or being a Christian or being influential. David's not doing any of that. What he presents here is purely out of his heart. This is his heart's desire. There's a hymn written by Ellen Gora in 1883. 
which I believe conveys the same sentiments as David. And I think it's the same attitude, or heart's attitude, that uh, we should have today. Two verses in there. In the secret of his presence, how my soul delights to hide. Oh, how precious are the lessons which I learn at Jesus' side. Earthly cares can never vex me, neither trials lay me low. When Satan comes to tempt me, to the secret place I go. So she's obviously looking from the perspective of a Christian, but it's the same voice as David. He says, all of the troubles and trials, and that when that happens, he says, I look for that secret place. When my soul is faint and thirsty, neath the shadow of his wing, there is cool and pleasant shelter, and a fresh and crystal spring. My Savior rests beside me, as we hold communion sweet. If I tried, I could not utter what he says when thus we meet. What he says when thus we meet. We've experienced that, I think, at times, not nearly enough in life. Um, but what David shares in his passage is that which every believer has offered too. Again, verse 5 in our text. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me. Think of the hymn writer's words, you know. In the time there, he hides me. Um, in his pavilion, in the secret of the tabernacle, shall he hide me, and he shall set me up upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies, round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing. I will sing praises unto the Lord. David says, these things that I've experienced brought me through and God has blessed me. There are other passages in the Psalms, and this isn't only one time that David says, in essence, the same thought. Psalm 40, verse 2. He brought me up also out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon the rock. Favorite words of David. The security of where I stand, where I'm planted. He says the Lord has done that. Psalm 91, 1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. What a joy. What a blessing. In the heat of the day, the coolness of the shadow of the Lord is David's provision. And I think as we read this, we recognize that David's not asking to be removed from his troubles. He's not saying, Lord, move these things from me, but he's saying, protect me, cover me. Rather, he was saying that he would prefer the peace and the protection and the provision when troubles providentially are permitted to enter. So you see why his presence was so desired. God's not saying, I'm going to keep you from, but God says, when these trials come, search for me. Find me, David. Look for me. And I think that's the way our hearts ought to be. When God permits trials, when he lays them at our doorstep, when they are a constant knock at my heart. That's the time that we should freely pray and readily find our Redeemer next to us. And we oftentimes do that thinking, but we're often running ahead or lagging behind. He's saying, stay with me. There's the old hymn that goes, and he walks with me and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Frequently walking with my Savior, my Savior walking with me, 
And that was David's understanding, not knowing the second person of the Trinity, but still having this relationship with Jehovah God, recognizing that I need him. It's part of my worship, and it just pours out from me. Now, beginning at verse 7, there's a, there's a shift in the tone of the psalm. Um, some have found it confusing. Some don't necessarily understand why it's like this. And it's not, uh, some suggest, well, it's David's written it at another time, or maybe it's not even David, but it's still David. Notice how it goes. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. We've gone through six verses. And, and he's just, just proclaiming his confidence in God, his desire to be close to God. Then all of a sudden, hear me. It's like, where are you, Lord? Answer me. Be merciful to me. After reading the early part of this psalm, we might think that when David was in trouble, it was an easy fix. And sometimes we go in that same path. When I'm close to the Lord... And trials come, well, that's easy to fix. I can easily handle that. Well, that wasn't in the case with David. Verses show that this one, a man after God's own heart, a man who sought God with such a passion, sometimes felt that God was not immediately accessible. For some reason, whatever it was, whether it's the lesson that God was teaching him or just the pruning away of the dead wood in his life, he says, Lord, answer me. I know you and I very well have found times when we ourselves are confident in God's love. We're strengthened in his confidence of things. This is I know, Jesus as my Savior. We're bold and courageous, just like these first six verses were. My light, my salvation, the strength of my life. And yet other times we're enveloped in darkness. We find that troubles and trials have been brought in, and all of a sudden our tone changes, like starting in verse 7 and on down through this passage, and we sound differently. Friends, remember that the Christian life can be incredibly bright, but it can also be unspeakably dark. In those dark times, we often pray or often announce, whether it's from our lips or from our hearts, Lord, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy upon me, answer me. My greatest confidence, and then one week later, what happened? Great strength and going forward with the Lord, and then the next day, things changed. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Maybe not in necessarily the very same words. But have you cried out unto the Lord and wanted answers for something that you were experiencing? Maybe a loss. Maybe some fashion of pain. Something that simply, it just doesn't make sense. Lord, help. A cry to heaven for yourself or for a family member or victims of a tragedy. Don't you hear me? Be merciful doesn't have to be that he see the answers, grave injustice, something that I see that it just wasn't right. Are you gone to some other place, Lord? Don't you care? Maybe, maybe he's involved in more important things in the world to look upon me and, and answer to my prayer. 
Well, whatever the reasons, that's how David felt. The enemy was at his doorstep and he was in danger. He was in grave danger. The assurances that he had, he could hold on to, but he found these dangers to be very real. Verse 8, when thou saidest, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. God doesn't become silent. David says, Lord, answer me. And, and the Lord turns to David and he says, yes, seek my face, David. Lord, I'm in trouble. Help me. Seek my face, David. And David's response, well, Lord, I sought your face. Seeking the face of God. It's kind of an interesting phrase, isn't it? Um, a passage that might prove appropriate today, Second Chronicles 714. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and will heal their land. But you know, he's not talking about actually seeing the face of God. Uh, when Moses was up on Mount Sinai, there was the occasion when God told him clearly, thou canst not see my face for there no man shall see me and live. So it's not the actual face of God, but it is his presence, isn't it? The most simplistic terms I think we could say is that it means to give him our attention. Not that believing isn't enough in life, but causing my heart's attention to be drawn to him, to be closer to him, to be that desirous to be with him. The Apostle Paul makes, or the Apostle James writes, makes it clear, and he says, draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. Why are you so distant? And, 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 and he turns to David, and he says, seek my face, David. James is turning to the believers there, and, and, and he says, why is God distant? He says, well, draw nigh to him, draw near to him, pull closer to him, and you will find that he has drawn closer to you. We saw in verse 4 of our psalm, David expressing, to behold the beauty of the Lord. That's that desire, that drawing closer to him. It's a steady gaze upon the soul that God, who loves us, that's paying attention to God, as drawing near to him. Seek my face, David. Draw attention to me. Jonathan Edwards, one of America's greatest theologians in the early 1800s, wrote this. God's excellency, his wisdom, his purity and love seems to appear in everything. In the sun, in the moon, in the stars, in the clouds, in the blue sky, in the grass. Flowers and trees and the water and all of nature. I often used to sit in view of the moon for a long time, and so in the daytime, I would spend much time viewing the clouds in the sky to behold the sweet glory of God in these things. Not that Edwards was worshiping them, not that he says, well, God is in everything, you know, but he says, I can see God's hand. I can see his hand in these things. Remember, we studied Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. 
Edwards found no distractions in the sceneries around him, but in all of creation, he says, I'm drawn to you to be seeing the beauty of the Lord in that. But I think even the greater than the glorious creation to seek his face, we're drawn attention by his word. Draw closer to my Savior in his word as it's provided for us. Colossians 3.2 describes it in single, single language. Set your affections on things above and not on the things of the earth. Or my affections, my heart draw, my mind. He says, focus on those things of things above. In other words, on the Lord and not of things on the earth, the things of the world. When I read that, I realize why so few of us have any constant experience with God. We're so focused on earthly things. Our minds are set on the things that are going through us right now, the horizontal experiences, the things in life, the things that fill our ears and minds. We can't really know and see what is happening. For David in this psalm, he was focused on his enemies. Or some of his friends, or some family members, as you recall Absalom. Or the murderous armies of the Philistines, or even Saul. And whatever the present danger as he's writing this psalm, it was real to him. And on one hand, he finds great confidence. On the other hand, he is still tested. He's still poked. He has the reality of the enemy or whatever it is around him. And he says, Lord, help me. Cause me to find that I can draw close to you. For us, it may not necessarily be something so visible to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord because we are focused on ourselves is really why I can't do it. In my day, I think of what I need, what's going to make my day right, how is it going to put everything together, finding the practical solutions to problems of life, or simply because I'm restless, I'm too busy. I've got so many things going on to achieve what I want. It's hard to pay attention when you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off. In order to seek his face, in order to seek his beauty, there are some things that have to be jettisoned. They have to be moved aside to say, he is my priority. And again, David's not the perfect man and neither are we. And so he has the reality, I'm assured of his presence. I'm assured of my strength, my salvation, of all of these things. I want to be with him. And yet, on the other side, I have this reality of this is life around me. And I'm in trouble. There's people seeking my life. There's enemies, the reality of this. And for us, it could those same two things. Why does it happen? We need to seek the beauty of our Savior, knowing him more and more more and more each day. Our devotions at the office this past week, we were going through a section of reading, and oftentimes the author will take certain topics and deal with the same thing again and again. And he was going through for two days in a row the beauty of the Savior, of all that Christ offers in his relationship to us, his redeemed children. And here, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and it just kept on going and going and going. And, And the reason was, he says, Fill yourself with all that is the beauty of the Savior for us. Psalm 105, verse 4, we read, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face evermore. 
seek his face evermore. God's faithful ones are to seek his face always. And even if we've not abandoned God, you know, there are those who say, well, they've backslidden or they're away from the Lord or whatever their particular case is. We're not saying that. We're talking about us neglecting him. We need to pursue him, his holy character, which is often obscured by our condition of fleshly desires. That's why the Lord urges us to seek his face continually. The Lord's desire to be our constant companion in an experience of life. He wants us to know him through and through and again to draw closer to him. That's a challenge, isn't it? For all of the things that have our attention. And I can go back to Edwards and a lot of those earlier theologians of a time. No cell phones, no electronics, really no newspapers. There's a lot of time that he's traveling by horseback from village to village, from town to town, from church to church, and he has time. What is he going to think about? Why did the Phillies lose yesterday? You know? Is that on his mind? You know? Nothing. He has said, how can I draw closer to you, Lord? And there are times that we have to ask ourselves. Now, go to verse 9. And David expands this picture of these dark times. He says, hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not. Neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. The plea continues, you know. The enemy is closer, maybe, in the message. And it's not a translation that I recommend, but I found it an interesting translation the way he brings this out. He says, you've always been right there for me. Don't turn your back on me now. Don't throw me out. Don't abandon me. You've always kept the door open. He says, Lord, don't. I find it interesting, back in verse 8, God says, seek my face. And David says, yes, I will. And then the next verse, he comes along and he says, don't hide your face from me. God says, the way to answer your situation, your plea of my presence being desired, is to to search for me. And David says, yes, Lord, I'll do that. But he says, don't hide your face from me. It's a pressure that he puts upon his own soul. I find it. He says, don't hide. Don't turn away. Don't throw me out. Don't abandon me. Altogether, he is saying, Lord, I need to be in your presence now. You've helped me before. Don't stop now. Finish what you started in me. I have no hope but you. You know, there are times when the battle continues. You have... Names listed in the prayer thing, you know. Uh, They're on it again. This couple or this individual or this family, this illness, this tragedy, this struggle. We're praying for them again. We're going to pray for them again. We're going to pray for them again. And and, and yet that person or that family or that situation seems to be never ending. Don't you hear me? You know, and the Lord says, seek my face. Uh, I'll seek your face, but don't hide your face from me. God's face is not hidden. He's working and developing in that couple or that family or that individual 
the perfection of what he wants. And maybe it's that, that illness or the tragedy or that loss, there's a purpose, obviously, for him to bring you around. And that is not to heal you as we would think, or is not to rescue you as we would think, or is not to provide here as, as we would think. But it's his pattern and his direction. It's his way. And then beginning at verse 10, I find things in David's mind. It's kind of a whisper of confidence. You know, a couple of verses here, they're really, he's crying out to God again. And he says, he returns to this trust. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. I don't think David's parents ever abandoned him. But I think it's a situation in this culture and in all of cultures. Mom and dad were responsible for their children to oversee and to protect and provide. But there came a time in David's life when mom and dad were gone, whether they had passed on the glory or whether they were just distant and not there. Whatever the case, he says, in life, there's a time when mom and dad aren't going to be there. But he says, then the Lord will take me up. He recognizes that God has always been there. Mom and dad, earthly responsibilities. Praise God for that. But I praise God for his care that's always been available. It's always been provisions. That part there, it says, the Lord will take me up. Some have said, well, that means the Lord will take care of me. Uh, one person even suggested it's the idea of adoption. The Lord adopted me. And, and the, the relationship that all of a sudden David has is something more than, than he's experienced. He says, he'll take care of me because I'm his child. We think of the relationship that we have. We recognize the failures of those who've been entrusted with our care, our protection, our provision. People who should have been there, and they weren't. People who are assigned responsibility by God or whatever else, and they failed. They didn't do the, what was necessary. They didn't care. They didn't meet those particular needs. It is for believers, we are the children of the living God, and we've been brought into his family. That adoption relationship, been there. Paul says in Romans eight fifteen. For ye have not received the spirit of adoption again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father, Papa. Wow. How, how warm, Paul says, this relationship that we have with him. I see David saying that. Just not as, as a holy God, but David is saying, Papa, you've always been there, you know. It did not remove the trials. It did not remove the struggles. But he's saying, Lord, work in my heart that I might understand what's going on. And then he says, oh, you've been there. You've always been there. What a marvelous trust that I have with you. This particular section of this prayer ends really here. And by the grace of God, we'll take it up next Lord's Day to finish these particular thoughts. But I want to ask you something. Where are you today in your relationship with the Lord? Compared to um, uh, July the, uh, the 3rd and 
2021. July the 3rd in 2020. Or five years ago or 10 years ago. Has there been any changes? Has there been a, has there been a drawing closer, a yearning for something that you have not experienced? Grace alone, faith alone, as a child of God, redeemed by him. Have you grown spiritually? Or are you in a rut? Sometimes we travel over the back roads and get into those ditches and those pits, and we just rock back and forth and back and forth, and we're making no progress because we've stuck in the same pattern of the same living, doing the same things again and again and again, and the Lord says, come on, let's go. But I'm still stuck in this rut simply because I haven't grown. Can you say with confidence that Jesus is your light and your salvation and the strength of your life? Light shining in my heart, those things that are necessary to learn. He leads me. My salvation that which not only been redeemed, but is my hope for the future and the strength of my life. Is he such? Do you seek his face? Desiring to know his character in your life, wanting him to be in his presence. I'll be honest, none of us can give a, an affirmation of, yes, I am, as we ought He's patient and kind, as was with David. And all of these things in David's life were to prepare him for uh, uh, the, the service as king. And, and that's why Scripture you know, it refers to him as man after God's own heart. Because he went through these trials sometimes, and there were some horrible, enormous failures. And yet when David recognized it, he comes back and he says, Lord, forgive me. And it wasn't just words. But that was poured out of his heart. God recognized the sincerity of such a repentance and such a desire to grow closer to him. So that's why you find those phrases of David finding such joy of being with him. Young people, married couples, senior citizens. Let's not waste this time in perishing things. He's provided in abundance for us, but the main, the main goal of life is to draw closer to my God. Nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else will meet the need. Nothing else will provide that which I have an assurance to lead me through the struggles of life. No matter what takes place, we have no idea. We have no, no, no assurance of any another day. All we have is that assurance of our relationship with him. I shared time and time before statement of only one life will soon be passed, only what done for Christ will last. And the world is full of people who have done everything so their name will last, you know. So their, their product or their buildings or their accomplishments in government, in science, in, in uh, whatever will last. But it's not going to. So I have to look at my goals and say, where am I focused on? What goals am I going? And the only way I'll get through and be on the right trail is if I'm seeking his face. We have to pray. This is, this is a prayer of David's. And so I, I, I challenge you as we need to draw closer to him. And it's my challenge to my own heart 
that I pray, Lord, draw me closer to you. If there needs to be pruning, then prune away. If it needs to be a little painful pruning, I'm willing to be accepting of that because it is from your hand. In order that, I might be a more perfected servant of the master's use. I don't need to have what I think I ought to have. I need to have what others think I ought to have. I need to be what you want me to be. That's drawing closer to you. Let's pray. Father, in a few verses of this psalm, David pours out his heart to you. And it echoes in our hearts as he saw the reality of his relationship with you at times being threatened because he was looking more to himself. And you and your patience and your grace and your mercy came to David and said, David, I'm always there. Seek my face. Find in me everything that's necessary and I'll walk with you. We pray, Father, that you'd speak to our hearts as only you can. Your, your servant can't do it. Nobody else can. You have to be the one to minister to our hearts and our hearts' needs and find such a joy that is there. We can speak of our confidence with you. Encourage that. We can speak of your presence with us. We encourage that. But, Lord, cause us to desire more. That if the Lord tarries and we return again and, uh, the next day, next one year from now, and the question can be asked, have you grown in the Lord this past year? And we can say resoundedly, yes, Lord, by your grace I have. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.